Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. This is The Hard Thing Podcast. Today, we are overcoming average. Welcome back to another episode of The Hard Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis, and I'm here to guide you on the journey of doing hard things. What does that mean, and why are we doing hard things? Well, first of all, doing hard things is the simple act of challenging yourself, taking upon yourself obstacles or trials that normally... Would, you wouldn't, you know, they're uncomfortable, they're painful maybe, or they're stretching you in some way, fa fashion or form. Uh, or there's the, the off chance that these are trials foisted upon you by fate, God, the universe, however you like to look at it. These are, these are challenges that you don't have choice about, that, that you're not choosing, but you still need to overcome, weather and endure anyways. That's what the podcast is all about. We're here to give you actionable ways to deal with those obstacles, whether chosen or not chosen, so that way you can come out the other side a better person and in better shape. And today we do that specifically by talking to a very interesting and high-performing individual. Her name is Diana Merriam. We'll get into her in a second. First, let me tell you about a couple of announcements. If you like the podcast, if you love this content, you can actually go get bonus content, so more content, over on our Patreon. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash thehardthingpodcast. There's bonus free content over there, as well as you can sign up to become a patron of the show. Uh, and there's different tiers with that, uh, for, with different benefits. So you'll get the free content as well as some extra content and also some opportunities such as maybe asking guests some questions that I'd ask live on the show and, and, and shout you out and things like that. Anyways, go to patreon.com slash the hard thing podcast, get bonus content and also sign up for some of the tiers and, and become a patron of the show to support the show, but also to get some extra special content and opportunities for you that way. Now, I'd also like to talk to you about Operation Underground Railroad. They're a nonprofit organization that goes undercover to rescue kids from sex trafficking. Since I started this podcast, every week, every episode actually, I've had an ad spot for Operation Underground Railroad. Not because they pay me to, because they don't. I do it because I believe in what they do. I believe that there are children out there, millions of children, who are imprisoned, they are, are enslaved, they're abused every day, raped in most cases. And they need help. They need rescuing. And not many people are doing it. Most people are just brushing it under the rug. Most people are turning their back because they do not want to see it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to think about it. Well, I'm challenging you to stop running from this problem. Go get informed at OURrescue.org. Learn about some of the signs of trafficking even and learn how you can help. Honestly, the biggest way, and, and I volunteer for Operation Underground Railroad, and I've had people tell, tell us this, you know, some of the higher ups. They say the biggest way we can help right now is spreading the message, getting this information out there. 
helping people not turn a blind eye to this ginormous problem. So if you want to rescue or at least help rescue millions of children, go to ourrescue.org. Just get involved. If you want to donate, but at least go learn what they're all about. Now, let me talk to you about Diana Merriam. She is an awesome guest. Just, just putting that out there. She is the founder of the Economy Conference. Economy is spelled E-C-O-N-O-M-E. So like econ-o-m-e, me, like me, I'm a person, uh, which is a conference. It's basically the way she describes it. It's a giant party talking about finances. And some of the things that Diana has done, first of all, she did the Camino in Spain, which obviously is a very hard thing. She fell in love with an Australian and, and you know, she fell in love at first sight and then proceeded to chase him across the country for the next 30 days. But I'd say the biggest thing she's done is create this economy conference, uh, basically on the brink of COVID-19, which obviously was a huge struggle. Not to mention, she's also one of the hosts of the Optimal Finance Daily Podcast, uh, which is a great podcast. I actually love that network, the Optimal Living Daily Network. It's, it's an awesome one, so you should go check out those podcasts. Anyways, Diana is such an awesome guest today. I can't wait to give you my conversation. So we'll cut the we'll cut the crap right now. Enough of me. Let's get to her. Here's my conversation with Diana Miriam. Yeah, and feel free to take drinks of water, write notes, you know, whatever. Well, you know, you I'm drinking a gallon, so I gotta I gotta <laughs> I know, keep right? up on it. <laughs> I've actually started trying to do that same thing, uh, just just in preparation because I want to, you know, prepare myself and yep. man, it's so hard just because you have to like time for filling up your water and drinking it and then time for yeah. the bathroom. Well, I'll, okay, so I know we're recording, but I'll give you a tip. If I can get the, this, I gotta drink four of these a day. If I can get the first 32 ounces down, so one of these before 8.30 a.m., I'm pretty much golden. And then I use an app called Waterminder, mm-hmm. and I'm tracking how much I'm drinking through that the day, and there's like timestamps. So it's like one by 8.30, the next by 12.30, the next by three, the last by eight. And like, that's how I kind of- That's smart. Yeah. See, see, that's the thing. I like this podcast. It, it lets me talk to people who are super smart and they kind of, uh, they program a lot of the things that they're trying to do. Yeah. So you kind of have really cool. to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I think that's a, that's a pretty good intro, um, to my audience who's just now jumping into the conversation. Welcome to the conversation I'm having with Diana Merriam. I hope I'm pronouncing that name, right? I that is correct. Okay. Perfect. Um, well, thank you, Diana, for coming on the hard thing podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Um, well, let's jump in with the question that I ask all my guests and you've had a little preparation, so I'm excited to see the answer. Uh, but Diana, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? Hmm. I would say the hardest thing I've ever done is something I'm like in the throes of right now, which is the economy conference. It's a business that I'm building and I'm still in this kind of like messy initial phases. Um, and it's funny because we were talking before we started recording of like, how do you answer this question when there's <laughs> so many hard things? Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, you know, I look back and see like, I got out of 30 grand in debt in 11 months and started saving 60% of my income and like completely changed my financial position in the matter of five years, like complete 180 when it comes to my finances. That's a pretty hard thing. I took two months off of work and went to Spain and walked the Camino de Santiago, which is a 500 mile trek across Spain. That was a really hard thing. I just quit my job. That was a really hard thing, you know? So 
it's like, there's so many hard things, but I feel like probably the hardest is the economy conference just because I'm in it right now. So it feels the most like top of mind. Well, I, I love hearing people's different answers. And I, and I like that answer specifically because it does paint the picture for the audience that <clears throat> hard things aren't just, they're very varied, I guess is the way to say it. You know, you don't have just one momentary hard thing. You can have hard things that last lifetimes, like changing habits and trying to keep the discipline up to keep those habits. And you can have the hard things of building something. You can have the hard things of going through a trial. Um, <clears throat> so with that, let's dig into all of these. Um, I think the hardest thing for me right now is to figure out which one to start with first. <clears throat> um, let's, since, you're, since you're doing the economy conference right now, I think we'll hold off on that till the end, kind of cool. give that a bigger space to talk about. Let's talk about the Camino, because I think that's something very interesting. It's kind of mm, unorthodox, you might say. Not a lot of people yeah. know about it. So tell us a little bit more about how you got into that and, and why you chose to walk the Camino. Sure. So the Camino is historically a Catholic pilgrimage. Back in medieval times, people actually walk this for penance. And now it's much more of... Um, you know, a lot of people do it for spiritual reasons. I think that was probably a main motivator for me. Um, but it's not, I think I only met one person on the trail that was actually doing it for penance. So that's not necessarily how people use it today. But I heard about it in my early 20s from this very adventurous aunt that I have. <laughs> and she did it in her 40s. And this is a woman who like traveled the world and was always like doing these crazy things. And I always looked at her like, you know, someone that's living a very unconventional life. And I very much looked up to her. So when she mentioned to me that, you know, she thinks that the Camino is something that I might want to tackle, that was kind of the initial seed that was planted. And she mentioned that she wanted to do it again one day with her husband. And so a few years go by and it's always kind of been in the back of my head, but I didn't even like know that much about it at the time, you know? So I think it was probably in like early 2015, somewhere around 2015, I, I had asked, I was talking to her and I said, remember that thing that we were going to do the Camino? Like what, when was that supposed to be? And she said, well, we wanted to do it for uh, my uncle Salvatore's 70th birthday. And that was happening in 2017. And I realized like, oh, I'm like two years away. If I'm actually going to do that thing, I need to get my life in order because essentially what I was planning to do was like, you know, leave the country for two months. What do I do about work? What about like getting my financial house in order? What, you know, it just seemed like something so far outside my comfort zone. And I it had a hard time even wrapping my head around how I would make that happen. And um, I ended up making it happen because I've, I kind of focused on one step at a time. The first step was getting my finances in order. So um, I ran a credit report on myself and saw collectively I was 30 grand in debt. Now I had known I had some debt. I mean, I was making credit card payments. I was making student loan payments, but I just always had this attitude about money that, oh, I'll figure it out later when I'm making more money. You know, I just figured, I thought that it was something that I was just going to push off because obviously I'm going to be making millions one day, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, and it's great to be confident about your earning potential, but it's not a good financial strategy. Because mm -hmm. what I've learned since then is if you can't manage a thousand dollars then you can't manage a million dollars, like money management skills are really where it's at versus focusing just on your income. 
And so that is where that, what that led me to is getting out of 30 grand of debt in 11 months and saving a large portion of my income. And I would say the hard part about that was I had to have a real shift in mindset about money and recognizing how powerful of a resource that it really is and almost like a newfound respect for it and recognizing that every dollar I earn, I'm either spending it on stuff or I'm spending it on buying my own time and freedom. And we live in a very consumerist culture, right? We've been conditioned since birth to want the big house and the Tesla and the, you know, the luxuries in life. And so to be able to kind of shift away from that and see, okay, ultimately that stuff's not going to make me happy. What's going to make me potentially happy is doing this crazy thing, like walking the Camino and having the time and space to be able to do that. Um, so that was a big mindset shift. And then funny, funny enough, like three months before we we're supposed to take this trip, my aunt and uncle tell me that they can't go. And so by this point, I had completely rearranged my whole life from a financial perspective. I also was living in New York City. I moved away from New York City to Cincinnati to like have a lower cost of living and try something new. And, you know, I had told my employer, I had been training for it. I had like interviewed 20 people that did it. I was being very type A in my planning. So by this point, I was like so committed and so I ended up going by myself. And I think that was um, probably the best way that it could turn out because that to me was something I think I needed to do alone. I'm glad that I did it alone. Um, but I, in the moment it was like, oh, change of plans. <laughs> you know, Got to roll with the punches here. That's such an amazing story. I think one thing that sticks out to me a lot is uh, in talking to the people that I talk to you, I start, I'm, I'm starting to look for patterns, right? Things that are similar between these people who do these incredibly hard things. And one thing that <clears throat> sticks out very often is the fact that most people who have done these incredibly hard things have someone in their life that kind of pulls back the curtain, if you will, and shows yeah. like, hey, there's like really cool things you could do if you, you know, again, I'm a big fan of fiction. So kind of that person, the mentor who ushers you yeah. into the unknown regions where your adventure starts, if you will, following the hero's journey. Uh, and so I'm very impressed that your your aunt was that kind of person. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned a shift in mindset and you mentioned that um, you stopped focusing on buying stuff and focused more on buying time and freedom. Uh, can you paint the picture for our audience a little bit about how you buy time and freedom? Like how does, what does that look like? It's saving and investing money, honestly. Um, so when I looked at my spending and how I got myself into debt, it was really just kind of unnecessary, wasteful spending. You know, I was a big party animal. I definitely had my twenties, you know, I was going out partying in New York city and drinking with my friends <laughs> constantly. And so like personal finance is, relatively simple, but it's not easy. So the basic premise is you have to live below your means and you have to grow the gap between your income and your expenses. And there's really only two ways to do that. You either increase your income or decrease your expenses. And ideally you're doing both, but you take that gap and you invest the money because I think you have to have this mindset or recognition that 
money is always going to be able to work harder at earning money than you are. So if you can take a portion of all the money you earn and allow it to keep working for you by investing and through the power of compound interest, that money grows. Um, it's, it's a completely different mindset shift from, I believe our consumerist culture, which is all about like instant gratification and the things that you want are material things. To, to have that kind of shift of what you actually want or what you want more than material things, like that to me is an inside job. A lot of people talk about personal finances like this tactical thing that, you know, it's running numbers and it's choosing what to invest in and it's coming up with a financial plan. Um, and, and all of that is true, but to, to have this mindset shift of, I want to prioritize investing and saving over spending money on something right now. And to be able to like, hold on to that, um, that will that to stay motivated in that way. Um, it takes a, that's an inside job that takes a pretty big shift. Yeah. It's <clears throat> something that a lot of people don't realize that, um, we all kind of have these well-meaning self-destructive tendencies, if you will, if, if, I could, if I could put it that way, you know, we all want to be comfortable, which is good. We all want to have nice things, which is good, but it, it might not be the best thing for our interests. And so there's definitely this major shift that has to happen from the now and these self-destructive tendencies of like, oh, I want a Tesla or, and, and I'm not saying having a Tesla car is bad. Like if that's your end all yeah. be all, then sure. But um, you got to understand once you have that Tesla, you know, every day that Tesla is going to be deconstructing just natural laws of the universe. <clears throat> right. Right. Well, and I also think there's this tendency when you're wanting to get your finances order in order and reduce your expenses, there's an assumption that it's going to feel like deprivation. If I reduce my expenses, that means I'm eating rice and beans every day. And, you know, I'm cutting out a lot of the things that I enjoy. And I think what made that process, it was the mindset shift was hard, but tactically every day, that process was easy because I was able to tap into a level of creativity and resourcefulness that I didn't know I had. And so I was able to not cut out going out with my friends, but find a more resourceful way to do that. So instead of going out and partying with my friends, I made my apartment more fun than a bar. I would invite my friends over, I'd cook them an amazing meal, they would all bring the booze and we'd party at home. <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily completely cutting that out or like, you know, clothing. I stopped buying clothing for the whole time that I was getting out of debt, still had clothing needs. Right. And so I, again, invited my friends over for clothing exchanges and we'd clear out our closets and we do these clothing swaps. And they actually, the thing that's surprising to me about it is I thought reducing expenses was going to be hard. That wasn't the hard part. The mindset shift was the hard part, right? The the finding more resourceful ways to do things actually became really satisfying. And I saw that something like a clothing exchange was actually far superior than just, you know, the convenience of clicking a button and ordering something online. I got to connect with my friends. We had a fun afternoon of laughter and mimosas and, you know, music. And it, it was an actually a more enjoyable experience. So I think kind of testing your assumptions on how things are going to be um, is a really important part of doing hard things. Because usually the hard part 
isn't what you think it's going to be. So like, for example, going back to walking the Camino, I thought the hardest part was going to be the physical aspect of walking 500 miles. I had never really been an athletic person. I was, I didn't really play sports growing up. Like I had an insecurity about my physical capacity, even though I'm young and I don't have any like physical ailments that would prevent me to doing it. It was more of a an insecurity, right? And so I assumed that that would be the hard part. And I trained really hard before I left to, to be more physically capable of doing it. And even though it was still physically hard and I dealt with the blisters and all the things that go with going on, you know, these long um, distance hikes, uh, that wasn't the hard part. The hard part was like an emotional aspect of the Camino that I did not anticipate would be hard you know? Um, so I almost think you, you have to go into things with a sense of curiosity and openness that, you know, you realize you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) Uh, I love that real quick before I ask kind of a follow-up question on that, just a curiosity for myself, how in the world did you pitch the idea of a clothing exchange to your friends and get their buy-in? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm typically a pretty enthusiastic person as you might be able to tell, and I'm a salesperson. So I, I think I noticed, like I had this one friend who she had like a full closet, like she was a shopper, you know, and she would like never have enough room in her closet. And it was constantly like, I got to clean this out so I can make room for more stuff. And like, there's so much in here that I don't wear because I have too much. And so whenever you're trying to do something alone, which I know is something that we want to address here as well. It's like, you know, when you're doing it on your own, you can continually put it off. But when you have accountability and other people that, you know, you're doing it with. So she had to clean out her closet because she agreed to come to this clothing exchange. And so it's something that like pushed her to do it. So I had a couple of friends that were that way. They wanted to clean out their closets anyway. And so this gave them like a really good opportunity to do it. Um, and then I think there were other people like me that had that same mentality that, um, you know, this is a really fun, resourceful way of getting a need met. And, you know, we're in New York city, we're all trying to save money. So it just, it, 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 people got on board, I think for different reasons. Yeah. I I love that because even though the example might be somewhat uh, mundane, you know, it's, it's just a simple clothing exchange. I think the, the principles behind it can be applied in business writ large, <clears throat> because yeah. a lot of people probably listening to this, and uh, and you've probably encountered a lot of people yourself who, uh, you know, you're involved with the fire movement. Uh, a lot of people, in order to, you know, become financially independent, start side hustles or things like that. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of these people have this misconception that you need to spend money right out of the gate, and and you know, you know, spend to the teeth, and. Uh, as you can probably see from my background, I have not done that with my podcast. I've tried to kind of bootstrap it. And and I think these principles of resourcefulness really set apart those who can make it happen in the, in the hard times and the good versus those people who just, you know, they have a lot of money. So they start a business with a lot of money and they're going to be gone in two years, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I think resourcefulness, frugality, learning to, um, enjoy less and not have a lot of material needs. To me, it's a skill set and it's almost a superpower mm-hmm. because when your needs, especially your financial needs, are relatively low, it's it's it opens up a lot of 
freedom to take bigger risks. And because you know that at the end of the day, you're going to be able to handle your like responsibilities very easily. There's something that we like to talk about in the fire movement called lifestyle inflation, where as your income increases, you want the bigger house. You want to take on more financial burdens because your income has increased. And one of my favorite bloggers in the fire movement, which stands for financial independence, retire early, his name is Mr. Money Mustache. He's like kind of the most popular blogger. And he talks about how luxury is a weakness because now you're, once you're, um, expenses, your, especially your fixed, fixed expenses are super high. Now you're locked into that high paying job. Now you can't leave because you've backed yourself into a corner versus when you have a big gap between your expenses and your income, you know, you're able to quit your job if you want to, because you know, you'll be able to meet your needs, you know, um, very easily. Yeah. Uh, my father-in-law calls it the the golden handcuffs, and oh, you've, yeah. you know you 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 just quit your job recently, so I'm guessing you are very aware of you know the comfort and the luxury yeah. of those those golden handcuffs that everyone you know shows off and things like that. And the uh, my uh, <clears throat> my I actually I actually recently learned how to play poker like six months ago. Uh, I'm not a gambling person, and my father-in-law also taught me how to play poker. As you can tell, he's a very good influence on me. Um, but at at the table, we didn't bet or anything, so you know it was just kind of play money. But I noticed that the person who would usually win would be the person that, at a certain point, had kind of a larger threshold of chips, and so their desperation was down, yeah. their fear was down, and they could risk more, so they could think more logically about when to bet and when not to bet. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about with having right. that that uh, that margin where you're like, you know what, I'm fine. You know, I can say yes, I can say no. Either way, I'm fine. Absolutely. And I think that the reason why personal finance is something very close to my heart and something that I talk about every day, literally, <laughs> literally um, it's because it opened, I see personal finance has been, um, and my financial journey has been really instrumental in my personal growth because I got to a point of financial stability where I was able to stop asking myself, how do I increase my income and decrease my expenses? I got to a 60% savings rate. I was like pretty comfortable with my gap, right? I, in theory, I could have continue down that road of like, keep thinking about how do I grow the gap and get to financial independence faster. But I think at a certain point, you almost buy yourself the ability to ask bigger questions. So now I'm asking myself, what do I want to do with my time? Who do I want to spend that time with? And like, what do I want to create in the world? Those are harder questions, but it's like, I bought myself the privilege to ask them. And that is something that is it's hard, but it is really satisfying. And, and I wish more people had that kind of privilege. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people say money can't buy happiness. Um, and there's that counter quote, I guess you could call it where it's like, but it definitely, you know, having no money can't buy happiness either or something like that. And I think you're 100% you're totally right. Yeah. Um, having money allows you to start looking at problems that are bigger than just you know, like, what am I going to paint the walls or, you know, what TV am I going to buy or how, how am I going to clothe Timmy? You know, it, it starts helping you be able to affect the world around you. So I think that's a very insightful answer. Thanks. Yeah. Um, going back to the Camino, 
a, a part that we didn't really touch upon yet um, that I think is kind of fascinating, especially because I don't think enough people talk about it, but uh, you said it was, you went on it for spiritual reasons almost. And, yeah. and maybe, maybe it was more so you got spiritual benefits from it. Um, kind of a, a disclaimer. Are you a religious person? Organized no, religion? I'm not. I'm not a religious person at all. I would say that I'm more like I call myself spiritual or agnostic. I definitely have a sense that like there is something going on that I don't understand. There's some kind of like magic to life that mm -hmm. I'm very curious about. There's too many weird coincidences and synchronicities and um, interesting things that happen that you just kind of question. Um, what What is the pulse behind that? Um, so I think for me, I say that it was more, I went for spiritual reasons because, you know, I was 28 when I had this like, oh, wow, I'm going to do this thing in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I realized I was turning 30 the year that I wanted to walk the Camino. And I think 30 is a pretty reflective birthday where you're like, what the hell am I doing with my life? You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I was always so focused on work and focused on building my career and climbing the ladder. And I had this goal of like, I got to reach six figures before 30. And I was always so focused on that, like achievement aspect of things. And I think my identity was really like tied up in that. But when I took a hard look at myself, I don't know that I was necessarily happy. And I think I recognized that, you know, especially getting out of debt. I had no man, no kids, no debt. I had the kind of freedom that I think most people dream about. And the idea that I wasn't doing anything with it horrified me. So that, that is something I think that pushed me to, to do the Camino is wanting to do something a little unconventional because I had the freedom to do it. I think, you know, I was single, I was struggling with like, what's up with my relationship with men and why is it hard for me to like find my person? Um, so that was something that I was really battling and the need to um, separate my identity from my work and to literally not work for two months. And on vacation, even though like people go on vacation for a week or two weeks, it was so hard for me to put it down, to actually like not be paid for two months and to not even bring my work phone with me and to spend months preparing my team for me to literally be not accessible for two months. Um, that, that really helped me to separate my identity and the Camino itself, like the people that you meet on the Camino, everyone's doing it for some weird spiritual reason, right? And no one asked me what I did for a living. That was how I defined myself. So it's like, People wanted to know why I was walking the Camino or how much water I was carrying or how much, how I was dealing with my blisters or like the deeper kind of questions of life. And what I noticed is everyone I met, it's like the conversations would go real deep, real fast. And that, that helped me see that I was a lot more than my job. And I just got to see sides of myself, like generous sides of myself, for example. I always thought of myself as like, you know, a New York city asshole because <laughs> I was just so like aggressive and like I was a salesperson, but to be able to like see myself in a different environment and how, how I naturally felt this immediate sense of camaraderie with people. And I wanted to take care of them and I wanted to like, make sure they were okay. And they had what they needed. Like, like 
wow, I got to see another side. Yeah, I, I think that answer is spectacular, specifically because I, <clears throat> I personally like talking about spirituality and uh, religion, faith, whatever. Um, but I think this answer is exemplary because a lot of people are stepping away from spirituality and faith. And I think your answer shows that you don't need a, a God figure to have faith or be spiritual. Because, I mean, from a psychological perspective, God kind of represents, you know, the greatest attributes, you know, becoming yeah. perfect, right? Um, so whether you believe in God or not, that's kind of what we all strive for. And I think spirituality is kind of looking within yourself and, and figuring out what that means and asking those deeper questions. And I think more people, especially in the U.S., who ask deeper questions like that and, and kind of start to figure out like, who am I really? Like, if I can't tell people what I do with my time, who am I? Uh, I, yeah. I think that would really benefit the United States, you know, at large. Oh, absolutely. And I think when it comes to my spirituality, it really boils down to trust and trust in myself and trust in something that I don't understand, right? Like I, I have trouble with the word God. I like to say the universe because when I say the universe, there's like no personality to it. It's not like something judging you on right or wrong. It's just this like mysterious force um, that's not really personified. And walking the Camino was a big exercise in that because I'm a type A planner, right? <laughs> and so, one of the things about the Camino and not everyone does this, but you are invited to like, not know where you're going to sleep every night and trust that you're going to find a bed because essentially what you're doing is you're walking every day to like the next medieval town. So I was walking between 10 and 20 miles a day. There are other people on the trail. There are some services where like they'll carry your bag for you. So you just have a day pack and they'll book you hotels and places to stay along the route. So you know where you're going every day. But kind of the, the more spiritual way to walk the Camino is to say, I trust in myself to figure out, figure it out. And I trust that I'm going to be guided to where I'm going to sleep every night. And it's, 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 um, some days are harder than others, but from my experience, it always works out. And it's a big reason why I got, I got this tattoo on my wrist of an arrow. And the reason is because the whole way was marked by arrows. So it became a really comforting symbol because you were like, okay, I'm not lost. Like I see the arrow. I see that I'm going the right way. Um, and, and, and trusting that you're guided, even if you don't fully understand it or feel it in all moments. That's a beautiful metaphor. Uh, I've talked to other guests who have described it. Actually, Amanda, the, the person who connected us, Amanda Neely, mm. um, she, she, and I had another guest describe the same way of green lights and how you might not always see the next lights as being green, they might be red or whatever, but it, you know, you wait till this light is green and then you move forward. And again, I think that's a beautiful metaphor and actually probably a good transition to starting a business um, yeah. and, and running that business because you really have to develop. And I think, you know, abundance mindset is really the great, a great way or faith, however you want to describe it, a great way of terming that experience and saying, I, I have faith or I have this abundance mindset that there's going to be enough for me to have a place to stay tonight or for me to make it to the end of the day, make it to payroll, whatever. So yeah. um, with that, let's transition over to starting a business. And one of the biggest questions that came to my mind is 
what made you want to start a conference in 2020, the year of <laughs> COVID-19? Well, I certainly could not have anticipated that that would be a potential obstacle. <laughs> um, I did not know that the apocalypse was upon us. Um, <laughs> so I had planned this event. It took me 20 months to plan the first one. So it was long before COVID was ever a blip on the radar. Um, my, my motivation for starting the economy conference and really what it is, I like to say in Peru, I'm doing air quotes here, but I like to describe it as the Ted talks of the fire movement. It's not associated with Ted talks, but it's like the quickest way to get you to understand what it is. Um, it, it's a, it's a, an event that follows that type of format of main stage speakers. Um, we also have breakout sessions and other activities and parties and all of that kind of stuff. But um, uh, one attendee last year described it as a party about money, which I loved that because that's definitely the vibe that I'm going for. But really where the idea originated from was I'm on this path of pursuing financial independence. And a the, the process of becoming financially independent is really just separating your finances from your work. You know, retire early is in the name. And I like to say that whether you retire at 30 or you retire at 65, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't work anymore. You have to do something with your time. I wouldn't advise anyone to just sit around and do nothing all day, right? So I had asked myself, if I no longer had to work for money, what would I wanna do with my time? And I really wanted to create this party about money. And the reason why was because I saw that I personally love going to events and I love talking to people and connecting with people at events when you're in the same room for a, based on a mutual interest, right? And there's this one event that I've been going to for years called World Domination Summit. Have you heard of it? I think I have, yeah. Yeah, you'd think it's like produced by Pinky in the Brain or something, right? Like, what is the world domination summit? Well, Mr. Money Mustache, who, you know, was really influential in me in, in the FIRE movement, he spoke at World Domination Summit one year. And that's how I got wind of it. And, and I started going. And the thing about this event is you are surrounded by people living unconventional lives. And then there are these amazing main stage speakers. And every time I would go, I would leave feeling like my life was so full of possibility. It was almost like I just got this shot of inspiration and I would ride that wave for a while. And it, it made me feel like anything was possible. And I want, I want people to feel like that about money because money is a really magical resource. And so it, you can really use it to craft the life of your dreams. And, it, and it's something that is so shrouded in shame and embarrassment and people don't want to talk about it. And um, there's just a lot of layers of emotion when it comes to money. So the idea that I could create this like party about money where people would walk away feeling like their life was so full of possibility and no matter what their financial position, they know that it's figure outable because it really is. Um, that was really exciting to me. So, so that's the main motivation and then I just got super lucky when it comes to COVID because the event was on March 7th. It was one week before everything shut down. That was the universe, man. Like, this is why I'm spiritual because that makes no sense. That makes no sense how I, I uh, dodged that bullet. Uh, but yeah, so it happened on March 7th and it was, it was really hard for me, not 
not just like, like the work itself of marketing it and building it and handling like logistics as basically a one, one woman show doing it alongside having a full-time job. Um, you know, I had to call on like 150 people to get my nine speakers and that is hard, but, but actually sending the email and having the conversations isn't as hard as the emotional resilience to keep going when people don't believe in you. That's really the hard part. And when I look at every step along the way of the conference, the hardest part is always my mental health and like my emotional um, capacity to do a hard thing. That's harder than the actual physical doing of the thing. Um, the getting the ideas is exciting and, you know, um, there are certain elements of it that, that light you up and like kind of keep you going, but maintaining that commitment when your energy falls off and when you're doubting yourself, um, and when the things come up that you couldn't possibly anticipate that to me is the hard part. Um, I actually went through a really deep depression that was, I would say, instigated by this business. And it was because, you know, I don't really look at myself as a content creator. I think that's an insecurity of mine that other people have such smarter things to say than me. So I don't want to be a content creator. I don't want to start a blog. I didn't want to start a podcast. I, I just wanted to be an event producer. I saw myself as like the person in the background that is literally creating a stage for the smart people to go say what they need to say. That's what I thought I was doing. Now, what I didn't realize is that people buy from other people and that I needed to put myself out there and tell my money story and talk about my motivation for creating this in order to inspire people to want to come. I naively believed that if I just got amazing speakers, that they would attract the audience. And what I've had to learn all the way that it's actually me. I have to put myself out there and tell my story and um, deal with my own insecurities in order to do that. And I did not realize how hard that was going to be for me. It actually threw me into a five month depression where it was really hard for me to get out of bed. And when you're severely depressed, I mean, talk about hard things. It's hard to take a shower when you're depressed. It's hard to just, you know, to get yourself to take a walk. I mean, it's grueling, grueling work. And as much as like, I, don't want to go back there. I certainly don't want to go back there. But looking back on that period of time, I think what I learned from it is that I don't have to hustle 24-7 to make something happen. I actually laid down for five months and my conference was still fine. <laughs> like that was a that was a real learning for me because you know, a lot of us that are ambitious and want to do hard things, we're like workaholics. We think we got to go, 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 go. And there is a strong hustle culture that tells you, you know, you got to work hard and you got to every single day get up with and be relentless about it. And I had to change that narrative. It's simply not true and it's not sustainable. Yeah. I mean, there's that quote, um, you know, you hear probably from all sorts of sales organizations, you know, when you, you're a part of them, like if it's to be, it's, it's up to me or whatever. I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's yeah. like that pressure of it's all on you. And, yeah. 
you know, it's, I, I did not anticipate that this conversation would move to spirituality, but it just keeps coming <laughs> up for me because something that I'm even doing now is really like calling attention to all of the things that come to me and the opportunities that I'm not even creating, they're coming to me. I, it's actually not all on me to go out and find the things. And like, even with you, right? I get this mm -hmm. opportunity to talk to you. This was just like a random introduction that I didn't ask for, that mm -hmm. I didn't, like this came to me, yeah. you know? And there are so many examples of that. So I think that that does help to take some pressure off of like, it's all on you to hustle 24 seven. Yeah. And definitely goes back to kind of that trusting mindset, similar to being on the Camino and just waiting for that next arrow and, and kind of trusting or having that abundance mindset or having faith in God, however you want to phrase it yeah. for yourself, that you're going to have a place to sleep tonight. Um, right. One phrase that uh, I pulled from your, uh, your yearly newsletter uh, about Diane, I, I, yes, I did start reading that. Um, <laughs> it said the Camino showed me where my demons are, but economy the economy conference helped or made me go to battle with them or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, and I love that so much. Go ahead. Yeah. I, and I, I think it just goes to show that like, when you do one hard thing, you build the confidence to take on more and like continue pushing that limit of what's too hard. Yeah. So like for me, it started with getting out of debt. Like that's a hard thing. And then walking the Camino is a hard thing. And, um, you know, I think sometimes you get in over your head. I think sometimes at the conference, I was a little in over my head. Um, but I, I think just recognizing that you're gonna fall off. You're going to fail. You're going to lose your momentum. You're going to lay in bed for five months. Hopefully not. Right. Hopefully that's not the case, but even, even if you do like having the ability to just like keep coming back, even after you fall off is a really important lesson. Like that to me is more valuable than to just like okay, I failed at this thing and I'm just going to let it go mm -hmm. and move on to something else. Like come back, coming back to that hard thing um, to me is the solution to that 24 seven hustle kind yeah. of culture. Yeah. And, and funny enough, this is a complete tangent, but that's honestly what I think is one of the major problems with the public school system that, you know, you have an end of the year test. If you fail it, you fail the class. And, yeah. And I think that, cause that, I mean, that's not really how life is. Like you might get fired from a job, but that doesn't mean you failed. You can go find another job. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it doesn't really teach the right lessons. Um, gosh, we're running out of time here, which is, is so sad because I, I wanted to ask a little bit more questions about like running an event. And sure. I, actually before, before we finish up, just that last question, how do yeah. you get buy-in for an event that's new, that, that yeah. is unheard of? You know, how do you get people to say like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to come to that. Right. Um, I think it has been honestly me getting on podcasts. That's been like the number one way that I spread the word. And when people kind of understand like your story and where you're coming from, um, and why you created the event and like what your intentions are for the event, um, I think it creates some credibility and it makes people say like, okay, so, so the first one is always going to be the hardest one because that those are like your early adopters. And mm -hmm. so in my mind, 
I thought if I could just get whoever shows up, if I could far exceed their expectations, it's going to make every future event so much easier. So I went like above and beyond to really um, try to exceed their expectations and create almost like super fans that would then talk about the event. And if they all just brought one more person with them next year, you know, then I've doubled my audience. So I would say being vulnerable, really putting yourself out there, um, and leveraging other people's platforms to spread the word, like going on podcasts really has, has been the most helpful for me. Kind of a follow-up question. Sorry, I I know we're no, it's all good, and I have time. I'm okay, I'm not in a huge cool, rush. Cool. Um, is there a line between being vulnerable to the point that it excites people and gets people involved and and almost invested in your story, and the flip side of that being too vulnerable, where they're like, whoa, like that's you know they're not a pro. I don't know if I want to you know throw my chips in with them. It is, it is a hard line. Um, I think you do have to have a balance of like recognizing, like, even though I screw up nearly every day, you look at what I created and you know, it's legit. You can see that it's legit. I, I, um, produced videos of the speeches from economy and put them up on my YouTube channel. My website's really well designed. Um, you know, like I invested in some, some of the right areas that, you, you truly can see that I can pull things off, even though I struggle with, you know, things that everybody struggles with, you know, the people that like get in front of you and say like, you know, I hustle every day and I never make mistakes. And I, you know, I'm an expert at X, Y, and Z. I think it's just not my style. Mm. And, um, I also recognize that, you know, my, my capacity for my event is 700 people. I don't need to have millions of followers. I don't need to win everyone over, but there, this is, there's a lot of people on this planet, right? I just need to appeal to 700 of them and being authentic, I think, and trusting in that, even if it, even if that level of vulnerability may leave someone, you know, that's not your audience, like letting that be okay, because you're not going to please everyone. Wow. I love all these answers. Um, one thing about the podcast is you're completely right. Whenever you create something that's outside yourself and, and maybe even bigger and more important than yourself, and, and I might be including children in this, you start to be confronted with your own insecurities and the things that, you know, you, uh, I, I guess, uh, make up for or, or compensate for. And uh, I, I've noticed the same things in building this podcast, but I, I love talking to people like you, Diana, because it, it's so insightful for me because it's like, yeah, that's definitely something I need to work on. I, I hate the podcast for that reason because every week I have more action items to work on in my life. I know, well, you know, the thing is that it's people are multidimensional mm -hmm. and I am, I am just as much a work in progress as I am in that I've done some pretty awesome things. Yeah. And so it's like partly having confidence. So I do affirmations every day. And one of the things I say to myself every morning is I have something to say about money in life because it's something I'm insecure about. I don't think that I, you know, have something as smart to say as someone else, right? Comparison is the thief of joy. Um, 
but I, I had, I got out of 30 grand of debt in 11 months and did some pretty amazing things with my finances and being able to own that story with confidence is something that I'm continuing to work on. But I also have the humility to know that like, I'm not perfect. I've made plenty of mistakes. I don't want to be seen as like an expert or a guru. Someone tried to call me a guru a financial guru the other day. And I was like, barf in my mouth. You know, <laughs> I, I call myself a personal finance enthusiast. It's something that I am really interested in and I'm, but, and, but I'm still learning every day, you know? Yeah. I appreciate that. Cause it, uh, you know, for those of you who aren't Spanish speakers, the Camino just means the walk, right? Uh, so when you walk the Camino, you're walking the walk, which is kind of a fun way to say that. But it just means that Diana is further along on this walk that we are all on. And uh, that makes it a little bit more, more attainable for us and, and easier for us to follow in her footsteps and be like, yeah, this is a good idea. Or maybe we need to take a different error or whatever. But right. Diana, And the interesting thing about, I think you mentioned this walk, like to be a little more philosophical about it, maybe like the walk of life even it's like, it's like this walk with no destination. Mm -hmm. You never get there. And just recognizing that there's nowhere to get to, even though you have goals, um, I think changes the way you approach the journey. Wow. I love that. There's nowhere to get to. Um, Diana, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. We didn't get to like half the stuff. We, we didn't even talk about 75 hard as we said we would. So um, maybe we'll have to come back to that for another conversation. But before I let you go, how can our audience reach out to you, see what you're up to and support you? Awesome. So um, the Economy Conference, you go to economyconference.com and economy is spelled with an M-E versus an M-Y. Um, if, if our conversation about the spelling of my name is any indication, I, I seem to <laughs> appreciate misspelled uh, words. Yeah. And so economyconference.com, you can learn about our speakers, you can look at our schedule, you can see a recap video from, next, uh, from last year. Uh, we also have all of the speeches from last year on our YouTube channel. Just search for Economy Conference on YouTube. Um, and then the other way you can keep in touch with me um, or hear what I'm up to, I am the host of a podcast called Optimal Finance Daily. And this is basically a narration style podcast where I read articles from personal finance bloggers and I offer my own commentary about them because I have something to say about money and life. <laughs> and so I like to say that uh, these bloggers like have have written these amazing songs and I get to perform the covers. That's the way that I look at it. Yeah. So this is a show that is every single day in the year, uh, three, you know, it's a daily show uh, in 10 minutes or less. And feel free to subscribe and allow me to serenade you with the sweet sounds of personal finance knowledge. I love that. And actually kind of a, a, a confession here. So when I first started listening to podcasts, my brother, and this might be a, a longer story, my brother, uh, he's like, hey, you should listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast or whatever, because he, he told me to read the four hour work week or whatever, which classic kind of trail yep. of thought there. And uh, once I started listening to Tim Ferriss, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of other cool podcasts and an optimal life daily. Yeah, was one of the podcasts that I listened to. And then I started listening to the Optimal Finance Daily. And uh, I have to say now one of my favorite podcasts is the Optimal uh, Health or Optimal Fitness. Gosh, which one is it? 
Optimal um, Health Daily. That's right. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I listen to that almost every single day with uh, Dr. Neil, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got a network of six shows about so all cool. different topics from yeah. personal finance, personal development, yeah. um, health, relationships, entrepreneurship. So yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, group of guys producing that, all yeah. those shows. And, and to our audience, honestly, if you are seriously looking for that mind shift, specifically about finances, uh, optimal finances daily is is really easy to get into, especially because it's 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 short. Um, you don't have to you know in, invest yourself into this really long podcast. You can get that nice little you know kind of like an espresso of financial knowledge every single day. You know? so <laughs> Love I'd, it. I'd highly recommend it. But before we let you go, uh, we need to give our audience some action items. So this is the list that I came up with, uh, and then I'd like to hear your thoughts on anything you'd like to add afterwards. So number one is to start testing your assumptions, kind of going back to what you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is to develop your spirituality. And maybe with that, I would give the caveat of like really looking at your insecurities and, and whether or not you trust that things are going to be okay by the end of the day. And mm-hmm. then number three is to make sure you create something legit. So spend time and effort and money in the right places. If, if you're doing a business or, or maybe you're just doing something on the side, make sure that the things that need to be legit are legit. And then you'll have the confidence to be vulnerable and so forth. Would you like to add to that list? Yes. Um, oh man, this could take another hour. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to just pick one last thing is the people that you surround yourself with are, it's so incredibly important. And I've realized in, in just my short journey on this 75 hard challenge, um, I had this epiphany, I guess, to just ask other people to do it with me. And it's, it's what I'm realizing now is like all future hard things I'm calling in reinforcements because it really makes a difference. And there's this quote that I heard, um, about community that is just really sticking in my head. It says, if you look at your inner circle and you're not inspired, then you don't have a circle. You have a cage. It's just so important. The people you surround yourself with, it just like makes or breaks how you approach life, how you approach your goals. Um, and I, I just don't think it can be stressed enough. It certainly has played out that way in my own life. I don't think I would be where I am if it wasn't for the people I've met along the way that just like came out of the woodwork to help me. Yeah. There's that the classic quote of like, if I see far, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. And I think we could have a whole nother podcast about oh, yeah. how to find those giants and how to, how to get that team around you. Um, but thank you so much, Diana, for being on the show. Maybe we'll have to do this again because it was really insightful for me personally. And I know for the audience, likewise. Oh, well, thank you so much. I hope we do it again. And um, I really appreciate the time. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast episode. Like I said, it was an amazing one. Diana has so much to offer you. So seriously, go connect with her. Go to economyconference.com. Again, that's econ, O, M, E, me. So econo, me, conference.com. Connect with Diana. If you have the opportunity, go attend her conference. I've seen some of the lineup of of guests there. It's going to be awesome. You guys should go check it out. Again, like she said, it's a party all about finances. Uh, So go check it out. Next, if if you really enjoyed the podcast today and you want to support us, Go ahead and leave a rating and review. It's really quick and simple way to show support, but also help this message spread. Sorry, I know that sounded weird. Help this message spread and help others find ways to deal with the hard things in their life, whether chosen or unchosen. Uh, 
help other people improve themselves. All you got to do is, you know, leave a rating or review and actually give a follow so that way you never miss a single episode. Uh, next thing you do is shoot me a DM on Instagram at the hard thing podcast about what you like, what you don't like, what should be changed about the podcast. What content do you like? What content do you want more of? Just information about what's going on. And also, if you have a story about doing hard things, send us that and we'd love to put that on our Patreon as kind of a mini episode of the podcast. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate your support. I love today's episode. One of the things that really struck me was kind of, you know, it was a lot about faith, you know, kind of, kind of the idea of taking a step, hoping, you know, taking a step in faith that things are going to turn up. Things are going to turn around. Things are going to happen for your benefit. You know, it may not be <laughs> tomorrow. It may not be today. It may not be for a month, a year. But taking that first step in, in that sheer, spiritual, utter, hopeful faith that something, some minuscule thing is going to pop up and, and give you another place to step and another place and another place. That's one of my biggest weaknesses. Uh, I... Faith, you know, even in my spiritual life, faith is a big struggle for me. But I really enjoyed today's episode because it's a great challenge for me to take that next step. To do that thing, even though you don't see the, the end, you might not even understand where your step is taking you. But you still got to take it. So, until next time, guys, until next Monday, uh, I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you guys implement these hard things. Take those steps of faith. Keep doing hard things. Because you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show. And you might have heard this already, even in today's episode. But uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys once in a lifetime you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, my guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up <laughs> uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, so look forward to having dinner with you.